Get your Anyone But Biden merch at StuDoesMerch.com. Use the code Stu10 and save 10%. If you are watching on YouTube, like the video right at this moment. Right? Wait, no, don't do it yet. Uh, now, now do it. Uh, you can also subscribe to the channel and hit the bell for notifications. We appreciate it when you do so. Uh, former CIA officer Mike Baker is here with his take on the biggest stories from around the world. I'll share my experience streaming sports programming from this weekend. Uh, I will try to limit the swearing. Can't really guarantee anything on that front. But we start by doing the real Insurrection. Heard a lot about insurrection over the past few years. January 6th. We'll get into this in just a moment, but I want to focus on a different sort of element to start us off here. Namely, what uh, the governor of New Mexico is attempting to do. Uh, she has announced a suspension of open concealed carry in Albuquerque. Uh, well, it's also a very famous Weird Al song. Albuquerque, just to let you know. Um, here is, uh, now you might say, wait, wait a minute, that's absolutely unconstitutional, and you'd be right. But let's hear the governor attempt to explain herself. So effective immediately. Okay. No person. No person. Other than a law enforcement officer. Other than or them. Or licensed security officer. Or them. Shall possess a firearm. Mm -hmm. Either Openly, openly or concealed okay. within cities or counties, cities or counties, averaging 1,000 or more violent crimes per 100,000. Violent crimes, and they could be knives. more than 90 fire firearm-related emergency department visits. Oh, so to okay. put that in sort of a layman's terms. Oh, please explain it to us, Grandma. Terms mm -hmm. for 30 days. Mm -hmm. In Albuquerque and Bernalillo County, it's the only place that meets both those standards. Oh, oh my God. Statewide order. Wow. Okay. But only one place meets Thank you. both criteria. Talk down we to have us more. far too many ER gunshot visits, and we have far too many crimes involving firearms. We are suspending open and concealed carry. I have so much. I'm like writing stuff down as I go that I had missed the first time. First of all, did you know that... Uh, Lujan Grisham uh, was the, of course, governor of New Mexico. And New Mexico locked down more in COVID than any other state. Even the big, bright blue states you're thinking of, California, Illinois, New York. New Mexico actually had the worst record when it came uh, to lockdowns. Now, uh, that's not a surprise. She's definitely uh, on the left. But this is just to remind you how seriously she takes her power as governor. It's it's. Extreme. Um, she also said, what was the standard? It was 10, th 10, I can't remember the exact number, but it was a certain amount of violent crimes per 100,000. As I'm listening to that, it's like, well, violent crimes don't necessarily have to have anything to do with guns. So if a lot of people are being stabbed, <clears throat> we're not going to ban knives. We're going to ban guns in that community. Ah, excuse me. Um, furthermore, the whole ER visit uh, quotient here makes no sense whatsoever. So, like, if I go and I murder 500 people in a stadium and they're all completely dead by the time the police show up, they don't have to go to the ER, that doesn't count? Or if I shoot a bunch of people but I miss and they only have flesh wounds, well, then that doesn't count? Does this make any sense at all to anyone? Also, I might add, it's completely unconstitutional, as, of course, you probably knew from the very beginning. We have a Second Amendment in this country. The Second Amendment is an affirmative right. It is an affirmative right. It says what the government cannot do to squash that affirmative right. You have a right to own a firearm and defend yourself. You have a right to do that in this country. 
This has been litigated for hundreds of years. She 100% knows she's doing something unconstitutional. We'll get into that here a little bit more, but let her let her explain how she's rationalizing this, at least publicly, because privately she does not believe this at all. But publicly, this is how she's rationalizing it. You took an oath to the Constitution. Isn't it unconstitutional to say you cannot exercise your, your carrying license? With one exception, and that is if there's an emergency, and I've declared an emergency for a temporary amount of time, I can invoke additional powers. No constitutional right, in my view, including my oath, is intended to be absolute. There are restrictions on free speech. There are restrictions on my freedoms. Does it? In this emergency, Mm. this 11-year-old and all these parents who have lost all these children, they deserve my attention to have the debate about whether or not in an emergency we can create a safer environment. Because what about their constitutional rights? I took an oath to uphold those two. And if we ignore this growing problem without being bold, I've said to every other New Mexican, your rights are subrogated to theirs. Now, to be clear, she doesn't believe anything she just said. She, this is a left-wing argument. It's been around for a while. It's sort of this extreme version of what you can do with your powers. She knows this is going to get shot down in the courts. She knows this is a BS argument, but she's trying to make it anyway because this is kind of the new liberal approach to the Second Amendment. They've lost in court so many times in a row, they become desperate. So they're trying to manipulate public health initiatives uh, to justify their unconstitutional actions. Now, you might have noticed that they've been doing that over COVID as well. A lot of things you were allowed to do, suddenly you couldn't do anymore because public health emergency. And what did we say at the time? I said this a hundred times on the air and people were very sick of me repeating myself. But what I said was, look, we have something to deal with when it comes to COVID. That's now. That's the now problem. You don't want to get COVID. Maybe your grandma doesn't want to get COVID. Maybe your uh, brother who's got cancer doesn't want to get COVID. They should really do everything they can to not get it because, you know, it might do some terrible things. Most people survive it, but not everyone does. And we should do our best to try to not get it. Okay. but what all of this is setting up is a massive future problem. And we are entering the period of the massive future problem. They realized they were able to get away in some cases with shutting down churches, overwhelming the First Amendment, overwhelming now the Second Amendment. They got away with this stuff, uh, at least at some level. We, uh, despite my constant uh, bitching about it, did not put enough cases through to the Supreme Court to get precedent so that this stuff couldn't happen again. We did in certain respects, we got some of that done, but we didn't go far enough. And now they're saying, well, why don't we use the public health emergency to justify all the gun policies that we want? And next up is going to be, why don't we use all the public health emergency to justify the climate stuff? That's a public health emergency. We think everyone's going to die in like a week. Now, she knows that this is a false argument. She also is well aware it's not going to work. Now, who is the person shooting an 11-year-old in a car? Terrible, terrible thing, by the way. We want that to stop. But who's the person doing it? Is it you who just went to the gun store and bought your uh, weapon to go hunting on the weekends? Did you, you know, intentionally put your gun out the window on the way home and shoot the person in the car? No, it was a criminal who did it. Well, are criminals going to listen to this order? Here is the assessment of the stupid governor. Do you really think that criminals are going to hear this message and not carry a gun in Albuquerque on the streets for 30 days? 
Uh, no. But here's what I do think. It's a pretty resounding message. Oh, well, we're now messaging. That's that's great to hear. Um, so let's go through the reaction to this quickly before we get all the constitutional stuff. We're going from most expected to least expected. So, number one, gun owners uh, rallied in Old Town to protest the public health order. Not a very big surprise. Gun owners are pissed off about this. And now gun rights organizations are suing New Mexico and the governor over the gun violence order. The only question, of course, here will be whether they can get standing and some of the legal details there. Eventually, it will go through the courts. And it, at least right now, you can be pretty confident that the Supreme Court would say, come up, What are you thinking? Of course you can't do that. Um, now, the New Mexico uh, sheriff has refused to enforce the governor's uh, ban on carrying, uh, carrying guns, saying it's unconstitutional. This, the sheriff in New Mexico, I believe in uh, there's two counties they did this in. Albuquerque was one of the cities, and then there was, I can't remember the name of the other county, but the county, I have it here somewhere. Anyway, if you're there, you know what it is already. Uh, that county, uh, the sheriff was like, no, I'm not doing it. Another sheriff I heard say, um, I'm really uneasy with this. I'm not sure whether I can do it. The governor's response to that was kind of like, well, the state police will just do it then, because I control the state police. Now, if you happen to be a state policeman in, uh, in New Mexico, you listen to that order? You listening to that order? I, I, are you sure? Are you sure about that? That's why? Because I don't think that's what people in New Mexico are going to do if they're, they've taken an oath to defend the Constitution. They want to uphold the law. They don't want to uphold all sorts of ridiculous orders from the governor just on a whim. And that's obviously what this, this is a test. There's a reason why it's only 30 days. You might say, well, why would they do 30 days? Well, she's trying to do it in a short way so she can get away with it. If it, go, it, might, it might not go through the court system and she might not get blocked in 30 days. And then it's kind of left in this ambiguous area. And maybe it gets picked up in, in other places. Also, they can car- start just, just cracking these on 30 days after 30 days after 30 days until someone says stop. Eventually they will, I think. But we're going to have to deal with a lot of people having their constitutional rights violated until then which is a shame. Finally, the least expected one has to be this. Liberals turn on New Mexico governor over gun suspension and say it violates the U.S. Constitution. Now, look, there's some things that surprise me. I will say I was surprised by this, uh, particularly uh, this tweet by David Hogg, who's a gun rights activist. You remember he was one of the kids in Parkland, uh, now an adult and really just one of the most anti-gun people imaginable. But even he says, I support gun safety, but there is no such thing as a state public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. I will say that was kind of surprising news after the past three years, because I was kind of sure everyone told me I had to stay in my house and I couldn't go. People couldn't leave the uh, open up their own businesses. I couldn't go to funerals and church services. I was pretty sure the left was absolutely arguing for a public health uh, safety exception for the U.S. Constitution. But apparently I was wrong. Look. I'm going to disagree with David Hogg on every other uh, day uh, this show exists. I, I think he's right on this, and uh, congratulations for being right on something. That's, that's really good. I mean, it is a little suspicious. The, the wording of it is exactly similar to this one from Ted Lieu, who I'm also shocked and pleased to hear this from. I support gun safety laws. However, this order from the governor of New Mexico violates the U.S. Constitution. No state in the union can suspend the federal constitution. There is no such thing as a state public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. That's exact same wording, which is a little weird, but we'll just let that go for now. Just let it go because I'm happy they're saying that. Now, 
they're very clear. It's, you know, like, do they believe in gun rights? Do they believe in the Second Amendment? No. Um, you know, talking about states overwhelming the federal government is probably where they have the opposition uh, to that. But, of course, that is the way our system works. Ted Cruz even pointed out, wow, wow, wow. Here are words I've never said before. Ted Lieu is right. <laughs> I was surprised, too. Now, the governor did respond to Ted Lieu saying, hey, Ted, conceal and open carry uh, are state laws that I have jurisdiction over. If you're really interested in helping curb gun violence, I'd welcome you to join our next police academy class. Woo-hoo! What a sick burn on that one. By the way, all of the major gun issues that we've had over the past few uh, couple decades here, uh, talking about individual rights for firearms and more, uh, have been based on local laws, some city, some state, but local laws. That's, that's what, just because you have jurisdiction over them does not mean they don't get overruled by the Supreme Court. Again, she just doesn't seem to honestly know anything about what she's talking about. She read, I don't know, she heard AOC tweeted or saw a blog. I don't know, she was listening to a, you know, a Twitter spaces and somebody blurted out this idea. She decided to go for it. And again, it gives you some credibility among activists who say we should do anything we can. We want people to not have guns. So whatever justification you have to come up with to get them out of people's hands and take away their rights, we should do. That's what the left believes. They, a lot of times, are more subtle than Lujan Grisham is here, but that, she is an absolute representative of so many on the right. I am happy that a couple of them have come out and gone the other direction there. But, like, just think this out for a second. Just think it out. What would Republicans do with this newfound power for governors? Can you imagine it? Uh, Charles C.W. Cook did imagine it. He says two can play that game, Governor Lujan Grisham. Let me give you some of his examples. Governor Lujan Grisham believes the rise in crime in Albuquerque is the fault of lax gun control measures. Okay. But a Republican governor elsewhere might draw the conclusion that this is backwards. And having declared unilaterally that a rise in crime was being caused by the uh, overly strict gun control measures, suspend those measures without legislative acquiescence. Is that what Luhan Grisham wants? Hmm. What about taxes? I like this one. Sometimes the economy is terrible. If unemployment were to hit 10 percent, could the governor declare an emergency and stop collecting corporation and sales tax without legislative approval? Does the rule go for Washington, D.C. too? Luhan Grisham says her oath was not intended to be absolute. Would it be legitimate if the next Republican president took the same view and declared a debt emergency and stopped sending out Social Security checks for a month? And on and on and on and on and on. It seems pretty obvious that a Republican with this newfound magical power could do all sorts of exciting things that we would probably like the results of, but would oppose on the grounds that they were unconstitutional. You can't do this stuff. And even though I don't like the results of some of the rules, sometimes I want my governor or my president to do things that would make me happy and take a universal action and overrule all those evil, evil liberals. But we don't do those things because it's not part of our governmental system. And that's where I came up today with the idea of comparing this to January 6th. You know, we hear a lot about the January 6th insurrection. But what is closer to an insurrection? Is it a bunch of idiots going into the Capitol with horn hats on and sitting at Nancy Pelosi's desk with their feet up? Is it that or is it what the Democrats are attempting to do now? Completely overwhelming our constitutional system and just kind of saying no to it. Kind of saying, you know what? No, thanks. We're going to we're going to wind up just 
tossing out this obviously unconstitutional law. We're going to put it into play for some period of time. People in that jurisdiction will have their rights violated over and over and over again until it gets overturned in the courts. And then when it gets overturned in the courts, we get to just blame those evil conservative courts. What's closer to an insurrection? That is absolutely chipping away, if not overturning entirely, our foundation for what we have as a government system. We have a governmental system here that is supposed to have mostly equal, at least checks and balances. I don't like the equal branches of government because honestly, Congress is the one that is superior uh, in a way. They're the ones that can impeach everybody else. But still, like basically equal with checks and balances. And then what? We're just going to allow one to overwhelm the others? I don't think, think of the student loan thing. I think this is a better example in some ways than what Luhan Grisham is doing because she's doing it on a local level. But the president of the United States just said, you know what? I can't do the, the loan thing. I'm just going to do it anyway. Uh, you know, even though my Department of Education already said I can't do it, and Nancy Pelosi already said I can't do it, and I've said I can't do it, but I'm just going to do it anyway. It's going to be $500 billion. And finally, it gets overturned in the courts, and then he complains about the courts. This is exactly, this is precisely the type of thing that the founders wanted impeachment to be used for. Yes, general corruption was also included. We've talked about a lot of other things, you know, uh, certainly apparently making calls to Ukraine and lying about blue dresses. We've talked about those examples as well. But fundamentally, one of the things they were really concerned about is people manipulating the system and upending the constitutional order. And when you do that, you should be impeached. Luhan Grisham should be impeached over this. She should be thrown out of office. I don't know what the process is in New Mexico, but she should be thrown out of office for this. She knows it's unconstitutional and she's doing it anyway. And they just look at this on the left as a hindrance. It's not something that is the foundation of our country. It's a hindrance to block what they want to do. What do they need to get done this week? Oh, the Constitution's in the way? Find a way around it. That's the way so many of them think. And, you know, it's unfortunate. It's reality, though. And you see, this is, of course, why Democrats want to get their judges through. Think about this. Think of the, what the student loan debacle looks like if it just goes through. Why wouldn't every president just pass whatever they wanted through an executive order, come up with some justification, and let it slide? And hopefully your court will back it up. The eviction moratorium was much the same way. This thing from Luhan Grisham is the same thing. It's this idea of uh, overturning our entire constitutional order just to get the thing that you want through uh, to get into existence. And why? How do, you, how do you justify it? Well, I really want it. They're not giving it to me, and I want it. Therefore, I need to take it, and whatever justification is needed is the justification I will use. Hopefully, the courts shoot this down immediately. Hopefully, there's a stay, and people in Albuquerque don't have their, uh, their rights violated for any extended period of time. But overall, this stuff needs to stop. We need to get cases through the Supreme Court right now, while it's actually good, and lock in these rights for people to use for the next century, two, three, and four. These are really fundamental things that make this country a country, and we have to protect them. Let me tell you about Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. When I use Upside, uh, I get cash back for every purchase that I make. I made it, I went out to lunch the other day, used it for Upside, saved like four bucks. Just on lunch, just went out and saved money. When I, get, when I get gas, you save every single time you go out and get gas. You can use the promo codes too. You'll get an extra 25 cents gas uh, back on every gallon of your first tank of gas. 
you can claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside and then just pay, as usual, the credit card. This is one of the things that kind of hit me when, when I first got the Upside app. It's like, I don't want to be taking out some weird Upside card. Like, Please scan my card. It's all awkward. No, no, no. You don't have to do that. With Upside, you just register your card, and whatever you buy on your card automatically gets these rewards. You're getting loyalty programs, rewards, all these things, and you're getting about three times that with Upside. Plus, Upside doesn't sell your personal information to third parties. They know you want that protected, so they do that for you. Uh, download the free Upside app and get the promo code STU. Get 25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of gas. It's an extra 25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of gas using the promo code STU. It's free money. Take it from Upside. We have a former CIA agent, Mike Baker, coming up here in just a minute. Uh, I want to take you into the weekend. I wonder if you had the same experience. I was watching some of the NFL stuff this weekend, and NFL Sunday Ticket went from DirecTV over to YouTube TV. So it was my first experience with really streaming sports. I like to watch sports live. And you realize when you're streaming sports, what you're not doing is watching sports live. Now, we started this whole, you know, streaming stuff. We were very early, at least, on that bandwagon. Really, at the time when Blaze TV started, uh, it was called GBTV. And when it was GBTV, it was on the platform of MLB TV, Major League Baseball TV. They were the only ones who really had any streaming infrastructure whatsoever. And so we were doing this, and it was hard. Like, it was... It didn't work. It was. It was. It had all sorts of buffering. It was in the early days before even Netflix was doing it, if I remember right. And you know, it was. It was clunky. But because it was the type of programming it was, it was okay, right? Like it was like, all right, you're watching, a, you know, a commentary show. You can watch that 20 minutes later. You can watch it a half an hour later. It's all right. Well, now we're in this new era. I'm watching the tennis thing this weekend with Coco Golf or whatever her name is, um, and I'm watching. She's two points away from winning the title, and as I'm watching this on my phone. And it's a dramatic moment. I mean, if you care about sports, care about tennis at all, it's a dramatic moment. I was into it. And then she's two points away from winning the title. And all of a sudden, 26 alerts hit my screen telling me that she's already won the title. Like, I, this is crazy. And then on YouTube TV, the same thing where you're watching games, your fantasy you know, stats are all changing. If you happen to be a gambler, your bets are changing before your eyes, before the plays even happen on the screen. I mean, lots of cool innovations, too, that they had where you can watch the four games in one little box. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff this weekend as well on YouTube TV. But, man, I don't know how they solve this. It seems like it's a really difficult technical uh, question to solve. But these TV networks that had this real advantage, it was just sports. It was the only thing you had to watch live. Everything else you could stream. Everything on Netflix you could stream. But, no, now they've taken away that advantage. And now we're watching all of our sports on delay, too. It's a bizarre change. And, one, I don't know how we're going to actually fix All right, I don't know if you've been through uh, any of this stuff yet. If you've, if you've never bought or sold a home, you might not know what it's like, but it's, it can be a difficult process. It's not exactly fun. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And if you don't have an exceptionally good real estate agent to help you guide yourself through the process, you can really end up unhappy with the results. And yes, you can take a chance on just any old agent, but do you really want to do that? Glenn Beck started a company years ago. It's called Real Estate Agents I Trust, and it pairs you up with the best real estate agents, both in the area you're moving from and the area you're moving to. These are some of the best sellers in the business. They know how you know they know, they know the best practices to get you the best price for your home and to get the best price on your new home. Uh, best of all, uh, they're great people. They're the kind of people you could work with on a handshake deal. Realestateagentsitrust.com. The name kind of says it all. Go there and check it out now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a free service to you. Realestateagentsitrust.com. 
I'm joined now by Mike Baker. He's a former CIA covert, covert operations officer, and you know him from uh, Black Files Declassified on Discovery Plus and the Science Channel. He's also, by the way, kind of a big deal. New host of the President's Daily Brief, which is currently sitting at number two in overall news podcasts. What, a, what an incredible showing. Mike, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, congratulations on the podcast. It's, it's a great listen. I encourage everybody to check, uh, check it out every day. Um, let me start with this, though. It's 9-11. Happy to have you on on 9-11. Um, you, yeah. uh, I mean, can you bring us back? Where were you on this day? And have we learned anything? <sighs> wow, that's a good, uh, that second part's a really good question. Uh, I was overseas uh, when it happened. Um, and have we learned anything? Um, I think we have, but I think the unfortunate reality is is that we we don't retain those lessons for long, right? So we've had a you, you can look back in recent history and just see sort of uh, Afghanistan as an example, right? We we knew what the Soviet experience was in Afghanistan. And we knew that after the first handful of years, they spent the remainder of their years there trying to get out because they had a variety of problems, all the same problems that we then dealt with a couple decades later when we found ourselves there in the same place. Uh, so I'm not sure that even after 22 years after the global war on terror that we've really learned. The intel community recently just came out with a report that um, says, look, the threat from al-Qaeda is the lowest it's ever been. Well, huzzah, right? Because what does that do? That makes people think, ah, that's fantastic. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that sort of thing anymore. And the reality is, is that that's not the case. Uh, the Taliban is now in full control in Afghanistan. Um, several members, senior members of uh, the Taliban government are either members of the Haqqani family or the network. Haqqani network is, 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 is tied in closely with al-Qaeda. ISIS-K, for example, is, is building up in Afghanistan. There are significant problems. So I worry that in our desire to put that all in the past, because you know, legitimately we all got fatigued from the war on terror, but that doesn't mean that the threat is gone. Mm, yeah, the threat still remains, and, and I you, know, you wonder where it's going to come from next. I, I was thinking about this going back to the, those days. We did a bunch of the, the, the uh, look in the past type of uh, content today. We were talking about what happened on that day, and I remember having a feeling, first of all, of, of all of us kind of coming together, which feels like it's totally dead now. I mean, that feels like it's long gone. But then also yeah. that idea that we were a country that took these things on. Like we were, I remember that day thinking like, we are going to kick somebody's ass after watching this. And then I hmm. look at what happened with our pullout of Afghanistan. And I, I feel like I see a totally different country than the country that was in my mind back in 2001. To me, that seems to be the biggest debacle foreign policy-wise that I can remember in my lifetime. I mean, am I right on that assessment? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think you are. Uh, sorry for that. I should be smart enough to turn my phone to silent during something. <laughs> That's all right. So, uh, but yeah, I think I, I think you are. Look, the the reality is that it's unfortunate we need a massive tragedy, uh, an event like 9/11 to try to remind us and bring people together. But I agree with you. I remember what that time was like. It was it was astounding. When I got back into the country uh, the first time after 9-11, after I, I was amazed at the unity 
right? I, I don't know that we had seen that since World War II. And that dissipates. And that's understandable, right? I mean, it's, I think the, 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 the problem is that emotively, if we were in there, if we were in the moment, we're never going to forget. That, that's never going to fade. But we also have to understand that for a lot of people, it has faded. And that's the way life works, unfortunately. And, you know, so it's our job, the people that, that you know, we don't let those memories die. We don't forget. It's our job to remind people, our kids and, and others, why it's important, right? And I just, I talked about this the other day, just, just like my father talked to me about World War II. He was a vet from the Army Air Corps. And, and he talked to me about why it was important to, to at least understand and acknowledge and remember the sacrifices of that generation. So we have an obligation to keep that going. It's not just some automatic thing that happens with everybody, nor frankly, for the young folks, should it be. Yeah, that's very, very true. Um, let me switch gears to uh, Ukraine. Uh, you know, I feel like this is such an interesting topic outside of the tragedy that's going on there. You see the, the disagreement among, let's say, for example, the Republican candidates who, who debated a few weeks back, where you have this situation that I think people feel genuine uh, empathy for the people of Ukraine. Uh, they, they want to help those people. They, they see that they, they were, you know, this larger country came across their borders and you see all the, the fallout from that. And at the same time, we're struggling here in America of what we're supposed to do here. It's not our war, though you can see some interest for us in this region, obviously. So what's the right answer here? What should we be doing? Should we continue this aid or are we going down a road that we're not going to be able to back out of? Right. And, and, and it, it is tied. It's actually a, it's a terrific segue from what we were just talking about, because you think about, you know, 20 years in Afghanistan and, uh, and in Iraq and, and what that felt like to the general public. Right. So now because of that experience, that feeling of, of whether it's impatience or just lack of understanding leading to frustration, it's accelerated. And so, you know, going on two years of this war, people genuinely want to know what's our end game, right? We've, we've spent over $80 billion by some best accounts, you know, um, give or take a few billion. And there doesn't seem to be an end game other than Zelensky saying, I want all our territory back, which is perfectly understandable. And the reality of being pragmatic and thinking that Putin probably isn't going to give up Crimea without a horrific long-term fight. And so I, I, I think it's smart to say, what is the end game here? Is there a negotiated settlement? Not saying you, you know, that's where it's going to end, but you have to be thinking about those things. You have, you put it on the table because it's not just enough for us to wave our flags and say, yay, we support Ukraine because we do. And they've been enormously courageous and brave and resourceful. And the NATO, the U.S. and our NATO, we've been amazing in terms of support that has been critical to their survival. But at the end of the day, it's not a world of feelings and emotions and what we hope for. You have to be pragmatic. And so we have to look at this from all angles and say, how does this end at some point in the not 20-year distant future. Right. You get nervous watching this because you see it escalating. We keep giving more and more weapons and types of weapons that are crossing not only what Vladimir Putin says are his lines, but what we're saying our lines are. We're saying we won't send certain equipment and then we wind up doing it over and over and over again. I mean, how can we be at all comfortable that at some point Putin or, you know, Russia generally is going to say, hey, look, 
you guys have crossed the line. This is not a proxy war anymore. This is just a war in which you're fighting with us, and we're going to treat this as if it is a declaration of war. Yeah, well, that's been an underlying concern since the very beginning, right? I mean, particularly for the border nations, NATO border nations, about getting possibly dragged into this inadvertently. And so that's a legitimate concern. And you're right about the, the weapons systems, whether it's cluster munitions, F-16s, HIMARS, Patriot battles, uh, missile systems. Um, yeah, you, we, we've, we've done everything that you can do short of putting boots on the ground or our own pilots up in the air. And so that's where we have drawn this line. But that's assuming that Putin and, and his cronies are rational players, mm. you know, throughout this this episode. Right. If they were rational, they would look and go, we're not going to win this. Right. It's usually not a good idea to pick a war with the entire world. <laughs> right. Because it hasn't ended up well in the past when a nation's decided to do that. So I think. Putin, you know, he's got some rationality there, but there's something else driving him. And it's a heavy lift to try to understand his plans, intentions and motivations. And that's that's been an intel lift that's been difficult for years. But particularly now, as his little circle of confidence has, has, has shrunk and you have fewer and fewer uh, potential targets that you can approach to try to figure out what is he thinking? What is his uh, end game here? Uh, we got one more minute here, uh, Mike. I want to ask you about, you, you know, you were a former CIA officer. Um, do you have a, 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 an opinion on what our institutions are doing right now, whether it's the CIA or the FBI or the DOJ? A lot of people are complaining, hey, this, these things are being weaponized against certain figures on the opposition. Uh, obviously, the president is a big concern of many on the right. Is this a real concern? Do you think it's overblown? Is the CIA or the FBI, there's still good people there? What's going on? Oh, there's, there's still uh, amazing people, right? Look, I can speak for the for the agency. I've worked with uh, in support of and dealing with the FBI in the past, but that's not my home turf. I can speak for the for the agency. Um, and to answer part of your question, you always have to be concerned about an over politicized intel community or law enforcement. You yes, so you always have to be on guard for that. But my experience, at least from my perspective in the operations side, I never did a headquarters tour. Uh, you've got countless people in the agency that they don't care who's in the White House. Just tell us what our mission is. Tell us what the task is. We're going to get on with it, and tell us what our next uh, task is, and we're going to get on with it. Uh, it's an amazing group of people. Can can a, an appointee, someone who's appointed to a position at the highest levels there in an organization like that, can they become over politicized? Sure. They become enamored of their contact with the White House, whatever it may be. But the people themselves, they just get on with it. Yeah, it's really important that we keep that uh, understanding uh, going. Mike Baker, former CIA covert operations officer, host of Black Files Declassified on the Discovery Plus, the Science Channel. And of course, catch him on a new podcast, uh, The President's Daily Brief. It's great. Uh, you can subscribe today and we get it wherever you get your podcast. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thank you very much, Stu. I appreciate you. So what would it be like if all of a sudden global medication supply chain of antibiotics just kind of disappeared before our eyes? It's a real problem, and it is one of those things that is, could be around the corner. You never know. We've seen bits and pieces of this over the past few years. 
What happens if you're not prepared? Well, the Jace case is here to get you through some of these problems. The Jace case from Jace Medical, it's a great way to keep yourself prepared for the worst. It's a pack of five different courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses like respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, and a lot more. It's a great way to be ready for shortages, but also just a great thing for traveling, especially if you're going overseas. Uh, don't get caught unprepared. Go to jacemedical.com and enter the code STU at checkout for the discount code. Uh, you get the discount code STU and you can get a discount uh, right now. J-A-S-E-Medical.com. Jace Case from Jace Medical. Check it out. I mentioned to uh, Mike a couple minutes ago, it's 9-11, and man, it's amazing. 22 years it's been since 9-11-2001, really one of the darkest days in our history. It led to a period of uh, really unity, I think, for at least some time. Uh, it's kind of an amazing period that seems totally foreign to us at this point. But it was really a devastating day, and you watch what's happening as people who were born anywhere from, you know, what, uh, you know, mid-90s up uh, till today have really no remembrance of this at all. It's important that we make sure that people still continue to understand it. These are people who are now voting, right? And they don't remember this. They don't have the emotional, uh, that doesn't have that emotional impact that it may have for you and I. Uh, it's fascinating to, to watch that develop and it's gonna be interesting to see how that turns out. So we wanna make sure that people do remember and do every little piece that we can for that to occur. Our remembrance of 9-11 is coming up in just a moment. Something weird is going on. Yeah. We, the World Trade Center is on fire. Oh my Seriously, goodness. the top it of the building. We're trying to get information. Top level of one of the... News to unfold from New York City. A plane crashed. <gasps> Just... My sister's in that building. Okay. And I hope she's okay. And I gotta run to New York. Oh my God, it's pandemonium. First of all, calm down. There's raining papers and ashes and... Jumping out the windows! Oh, they're jumping out the windows! 
second plane has now flown in. Wait, explosion at the Pentagon? A third location on alert and outside of Washington. I don't have words to describe what I'm witnessing right now. Effective immediately until further notice. Flight operations in the national airspace system by United States civil aircraft and foreign civil and military aircraft are prohibited. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. And freedom will be defended. One of the World Trade Towers has collapsed and fallen. Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. This is Glenn Beck. Dateline, New York. In one of the most audacious attacks ever, terrorists hijacked two airliners, crashed them into the World Trade Center in a coordinated series of blows today that brought down the twin 110-story towers. Thousands may be dead, 58,000 people work at the World Trade Center. She wanted me, I just wanted to let you know I love you and I'm stuck in this building. I'm waiting at the building for a moment, I'll be out now, but there's lots of smoke and we just wanted you to know that I love you. Well, you know, United States Air Force Base Center, one plane, United Flight 93, crashed north of Somerset County Airport, a small airport 80 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. United said that flight, Boeing 757, left Newark at 8.01, and entry San Francisco at 38 it is as old as the scriptures. We will not falter. And is as clear. And we will not fail. As the American Constitution. That is the news of this day. September 11th, 2001. 